Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we come humbled. We come even asking, what is man that you are mindful of him? What are we? We are those who have indeed not sought after you. We have sought our own ways. And yet in grace upon grace, you would not just decree that we would be judged and condemned forever. But in your mercy and in your grace, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for us. That he tasted death in our place. And what a savior we have. How wonderful you are, Lord Jesus. And we glory indeed in you, Lord Jesus, today. We glory in you and we do pray and we do sing all glory be to Christ our King. And not just here, and I pray not just here. Because you do not call for one hour of our Sunday. You call for our life. And that is a joy. We gladly are yours. This is no burden in regard to being Christ's. Though there are struggles with our heart and our soul and our mind and our thoughts and our lives and family and all kinds of things, Christ, you are our joy and portion forever. And we come gladly this morning whether, whether that's mixed with sorrow or that's mixed with you know, concern or whatever it may be, we come to you, our Lord, who is the great and merciful high priest, the perfect high priest. And so may we come to you, to your word this morning, and may you help us to come by faith not relying on ourselves, not looking to ourselves, not looking to anything we've done or can do, but only looking to Christ. And so help us in our weaknesses, our sins, and our needs this morning. May you give us grace as we turn to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to James chapter 3. We'll be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning as we continue our study, walking through the letter of James. Now imagine waking up one morning, and after you get ready and maybe have all your coffee or whatever you do in your morning, you go and open the door of your house, and you come out of your house or your apartment or wherever you are, and you come out to a shocking scene. Everything around you is on fire. In every direction, there's smoke, there are flames, there's this roaring inferno abounding everywhere you look. 
And of course, in seeing all these things, you are alarmed. You're perhaps wondering all sorts of things like why, how, who did this? What can I do to put this thing out? And so all sort of things are going through your mind as you see these things. When we think of our words and our interaction with others, we probably don't think of our words like that. Like a a world on fire, like little torches lighting even the world on fire all around us. There's an old saying which you all know, I would imagine. And if you don't, then you ought to know it. And now you're going to hear it. (laughs) But sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Right? You know that one. And as children, I think we probably heard that and thought, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. But as adults, we know very well that nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> I mean, I imagine if you went around from one person to the next, that you would find people who have recovered and they have been long better from sticks and stones. Maybe they have some scars on their body, sure. And so they're long better from those, but they are still hurting and broken over words that someone said to them. Perhaps even years and years and years ago, perhaps even in school, at times you still, it still comes to your mind what some boy or girl said to you. Those words go deep. And so words very really leave marks on us in a way that is much further and much deeper than even sticks and stones do. Well, this morning, James, he aims to consider just this. He aims to consider these. He aims to consider our words and our tongues and how we use our words, our tongues, our speech. And he calls us before God this morning to examine ourselves. So as we approach the word of God, may that be our heart and may we be ready to come under the word and to hear the word and to examine ourselves indeed. So let's see this here then beginning with verse one of chapter three. May God help us as we come to hear from the God who made us for himself. Chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast of, and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce Figs, well, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. As we come to these verses in chapter 3 of James, looking back on what James has already said, which you may have been here or not, um, but we've already seen that God cares deeply about what we say. He cares deeply about your and my words as followers of Jesus Christ. And so we've heard, or if you've read James before, maybe if you haven't read James at all, he he said, James said back in chapter 1, verse 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And so we see this emphasis right there near the beginning of James on your words that you not just kind of spill them out of you. And so we saw it there in chapter 1, verse 19, and then we also see it in chapter 1, verse 26. We see there, we saw there that an unbridled tongue makes evident that your religion is worthless. I mean, is that significant? Yes, An uncontrolled, unbridled tongue means whatever you may profess, it makes your religion worthless. You're seeing already, without even coming to chapter 3, how important words are. And so rather than that, though, we're to chapter 2, verse 12, to so speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as believers, already in the book of James, we see how vital and important words are, and we need to know that words and our words matter a great deal. And so as James, he hones in on this subject here, he transitions here, by beginning with a serious calling. And what serious calling is that? It's the serious calling of being a teacher, of being a teacher. So he wouldn't have that many of you believers, he wouldn't have that you go about thinking that you should be 
teachers. Interesting, right? And he doesn't just mean any teacher, though, here, but teachers of the things of God, teachers of the Word of God. Now, that may not be an especially popular word, what James is saying here. Not many of you should be teachers, but it is a needed one. We're not just to simply kind of look out over everyone and say, well, I think maybe that person right there would be a good teacher because we need a teacher, so let's just fill that spot. Well, James is not okay with that, which also means God is not okay with that. Right? So like I said, maybe not a popular word, but a needed one. Church, we are not to just let anyone teach. It is no small matter for someone to be a teacher. And why? Why is that? Well, because your words matter. And so how do they matter? Well, note two points here from our passage. So first, teachers, if you are a teacher here within the church, your words affect others. Your words affect others. So this is implied in James's point here. This is the impetus behind why James is so earnest about this. And, you know, I find that as he says this, I think it's interesting. It's interesting that the world gets this. They understand this point very well, right? I mean, they labor over what is taught and specifically that it is taught under the heading of secularism, right? They, they labor that when you go to school, if you go to public school or college, they labor that they're teaching in such a way that they're teaching as though there is no such thing as God. And that's not neutral, by the way. They think it's neutral, but it's not neutral. And so they're laboring that they're teaching would expound and proclaim to all and everyone. Secularism. There is no God. And so is it any surprise then when our children go on as they hear these things from the world to take on that view? As they go to college, do you really think that one Sunday, one hour on a Sunday is going to make the difference? Do you really think that maybe for some of you, one hour on one month of a Sunday is going to make a difference? It must go deeper than that. So is it, is it any surprise when our children then go on and take on that view and they go and abandon the faith and we're like, what in the world happened here? Well, you know what happened here. We didn't obey the Lord. Go and make disciples. Which is not an hour on a Sunday. Parents, it's you. Discipling your children in the word of God. And God commands you to that. And so it is, is, is it any surprise for us when they do that? Or maybe they don't abandon the faith. 
But then they go and they bring all of that stuff into the church. And so they come in, and if a church doesn't care who the teachers are, they say, okay, well, secularism is true. Their, their children are saying this, the generations. Therefore, I'll go ahead and get rid of this passage here, right? And this one. You know, this stuff about homosexuality and, you know, the sanctity of human life. Psalm 139. I don't know if I really all end all that stuff because of why. Secularism back here driving the boat. So I'll just get rid of this. I'll get rid of that. And so on. And the world's teachings deeply affect us because they know that their teaching you impacts you. As you watch movies, as you watch shows, as you read books, and so on. Now, I'm not saying don't watch shows, don't watch, TV, don't watch movies and read books. I do that. <laughs> but we must be careful. We must think to the glory of God. And the sad thing is, for many, they don't even know that the world's doing this to them. You may not know it. As you come into these, this building and you think, well, I don't like what the pastor said. Well, why? Is it tradition? Is it secularism? Is it the world? What is, what is your reason why? Is it founded upon the word of God or where is it coming from? Massive question to ask yourself. Well, I was just convicted quite a bit by what you just said. Well, why? We must ask these things of ourselves before God. And so many may go on, and yet they are living under the curriculum of the world. And so we see, even from the world's perspective, that teaching is vital and that teaching affects others. Now, you might say, well, I'm no teacher here in the way that you presented this, so this isn't for me. You know, I'm not a formal teacher in the church. But let me just tell you this, that may be true, yet you are all teachers in some sense of the word. Maybe you're not formally a teacher within the church, which is what James is talking about, but you are teaching. As parents, like we said a moment ago, you are teaching your children something. Whether you like it or not, you are doing that with your words, even the way you say your words, you're teaching them. And as believers, you're making disciples of Jesus Christ. So what do you do as you make disciples of Christ? You are teaching them. Not just the pastor, not just evangelists, not just missionaries, not just anybody. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is to be making disciples. So you are a teacher and you're teaching them as well as you disciple. Or even simply this. Other believers hear you, and they see you. And as they hear you, and as they see you, you are teaching them also. And so you see, this is for you. All of you are teachers in some way. It does not mean you're a teacher in this way, but you are a teacher. Now, if you are specifically a teacher within the church, wow. <laughs> Know this well. Your words are 
affecting other people. James is making that definitively clear here, which then leads us to see the second exhortation or point here. Teachers, your words will be more precisely weighed. Your words will be more precisely weighed. Verse 1. You will be judged with greater strictness. And so your words, teachers, whether, and I mean this, if you are teaching children here, you also, to adults, you also. So whoever you are, as a teacher within the body of Christ, within the you are being held to a higher standard because of those, because of your words. Your teaching deeply affects others. For those who say, knowing the word or knowing sound doctrine does not matter. And I I would imagine most of you have heard that at some point. Get rid of all this doctrine stuff, you know? Well, be warned here. You can say that as much as you like, but it will not change the reality that it does matter, and not just that, but God says it matters. From Genesis to Revelation, he is telling you something that you need to believe. He's telling you who he is, who you are to worship. He's telling you who Christ is, the God-man, fully God, fully man, died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and has seated at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. So you have things that you must believe in, and God calls you to believe in. So it does matter. And so James, he is honest here in verse 2. And we may feel some relief at this point. (laughs) We all stumble in many ways. And that's right. We do. We all sin. Now he's not saying here in verse 2 that you can be perfect. But he's saying you need to take your words seriously. What you say you need to take seriously. If you control the tongue, you are controlling the whole thing, the whole direction of your life. And so, teachers, the point is, you ought to be wisely and humbly and rightly weighing your words. It matters. And so, a few applications along these lines then for you. And first is labor over your teaching. Labor over your teaching. And I mean that. I mean labor over it. Remember Paul's exhortation to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. He tells Timothy this. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For so, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, as you hear that, I don't... When you hear the word close watch, that does not evoke a mild exertion, does it? Right? I mean, it evokes giving it 
You're all laboring over the words of Scripture that you may be faithful, not before you, but before God, primarily, and before you. You know, I remember years ago now, Megan and I, we taught first and second grade Sunday school at a church we were at, and I resolved then that regardless of the fact that they were children, that I would labor over those lessons to the same degree that I labored over teaching adults. The same time, the same study, I am going to pour myself over God's word to make sure I am faithful because of this. So whether you're teaching children or adults, labor over your teaching. Be a student of the word of God. And then also, which comes right alongside laboring over your teaching, is labor over your life. Labor over your life. It's not just what you say. It's also what you do. You know, as one minister said years ago in the 1600s, the minister's life is the life of his ministry and teacher's sins are the teachers of sins. I'll read it again. The minister's life is the life of his ministry and teacher's sins are the teachers of sins. And so there ought to be a congruence between what you say and what you do. So are you teachers in the word even when you're not teaching the word? Are you mainly in the word because you're teaching others? Are you mainly in the word because you love Jesus Christ? And you want to know him. And you want to be like him in all your imperfections. Lord, make me like you, whether I'm a pastor or not, if I'm laboring in the automotive field, or if I'm an accountant, or whatever I do, may I labor over your word, because I long to be like Christ. And so is your life being transformed day by day by the gospel? A life devoted to Christ will go on and teach Christ, flowing from the reality of a life changed by Christ. And so it's from this point then that James launches into the whole of the discussion that we see here on in the rest of these verses on the tongue. And so not just for teachers specifically, but for all of us. Hence, we see the second thrust of his emphasis here in verses 3 through 8. And here we see a terrible fire. And that terrible fire is your tongue. Your tongue. So now he directly addresses your tongue and your words. All of us. So to do this, he gives two examples showing the immense power of your tongue. And so the first example is a bit put into the mouse, mouth, not mouse, 
but the mouth of a horse. Now, I'm no expert on horses or anything like that, but with that bit, and you can see it in here in these verses, you can move the horse however you like. You can guide the whole thing with that small little bit. And then similarly, the second example is of a ship. Now, naturally, we could think here of the world we live in today and of our you know, large cruise ships today. And some of you have been on those. I've never been on one, so maybe you have seen this. But how the whole thing is controlled with a simple turn of a small wheel. And so with the turn of the wheel, the rudder moves and directs the ship wherever the pilot wants it to go. And so in view of these two examples then, James, he he writes in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so that is, your tongue is small, but it's not small. You know, (laughs) it's small, but it boasts of what great things it can do like moving a horse or moving a ship or moving the whole course of your life and the direction it would go. Such that if your tongue is off, what great and terrible things it can do. Hence, we have what James writes here in verses 6 through 9. And we see words can set the world on fire. World, words can set the world on fire. Now, we might have heard this or even seen this in action. Maybe you have, how a small fire can quickly get out of hand, right? I mean, just how it just, once it gets going, it's just boom and goes everywhere. Well, I remember, you know, years ago, you know, we as a family took a vacation to Pigeon Forge. And shortly after we got back, we heard about how some boys, you know, started a fire there. And the devastation was absolutely great. It only took a few small matchsticks to start a fire that consumed more than 17,000 acres and 2,500 structures. These little matchsticks. Well, James is saying that your tongue and my tongue and our tongue is like that. Now, note the descriptors here. And they're not pleasant. In verse 6, the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness staining the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So our tongue can set the world on fire with evil, and in truth, we already know it has, right? I mean, all of history we've seen this. This is exactly what we've seen. I mean, consider another form of words in the form of books I mean, consider the words set out in books that even to this day are creating a world of unrighteousness and right now are setting the world 
on fire. What books do I have in mind? Well, Karl Marx's you know, communist manifesto. It still is setting the world on fire. But what about Hitler and Mein Kampf? Did those words matter? <laughs> what about Mao Zedong and his little red book? And on we could go. Book after book that have, they have set the world on fire in absolutely terrible, atrocious ways one after another. And then besides those words, you have the words of the people themselves. You have Stalin, you have Hitler, you have Mao Zedong, you have Putin, you have all these people. They are speaking. And so from those words come what? Fire. Devastation. A world on fire. Wars and wars and wars and death after death, after death. And so we see the evil of words even to today. Or you could just look into your local church and look at some of the people there and what kind of words they're saying and setting their church on fire as well. It's no accident that Proverbs says in Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. So James says that we can tame animals, but we can't tame our tongues. So who told you that words couldn't hurt you? (laughs) What of these, those few words, at least the few words that we see in Genesis 3? Did those words have an impact? Well, yeah. <laughs> Every one of you are impacted by those words. And you feel it in your hearts right now. Wrestling with yourself. Thinking of all these words you've said. Lord, have mercy on me. And so what are we to do? Well, consider what's behind your words. Consider what's behind your words. But as we hear all of this, note it and note it well that we are not at the mercy of our tongues. You may hear all that and be thinking that. It just seems like my tongue is just out of control. <laughs> you know, It's the one doing this. We are not at the mercy of our tongues. Behind the bit, behind the rudder, behind the matchsticks, and behind your words is you. You know, in Matthew, Jesus, he says, in Matthew 15, 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So don't think that we're at the mercy of our tongues. Our tongues only reflect for you. They reflect the one directing it. And so your words reflect your heart. 
And so we, all of us, young and old, will be held accountable before the words that we say. So we heard a number of weeks ago from Matthew 12, 36, every idle word men shall speak, they shall be given account of on the day of judgment. And so what you say isn't revealing how everyone else is just one big bother. Yeah, if these people would just leave me alone, you know, I wouldn't be so bitter and angry. And if they would just leave me alone, I wouldn't say all this stuff, you know. If that employee, you know, they were nicer to me, I wouldn't go and waylay them to everyone else. And on you could go. Well, friend, your words are just revealing you. They're not revealing all that about them. They're revealing your heart, your pride, your anger, your self-righteousness, your desire to control, your idolatry, your unbelief, your lies, manipulation, your deception. And so as we hear these hard words that James just loves to tell us over and over again, (laughs) challenging us, the Lord would have us ask rightly, what is behind your words? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's self-righteousness. I'm not like those people over there. I'm not like that church over there. I'm not like them. I don't talk that way. I don't do those things. You know what that sounds like? Self-righteousness. Have we forgotten (laughs) that we were bought as sinners by one, the one who came and died for us? No better. And so we need to ask what's behind our words. And then James, he ends these verses driving home his point, and it's simple, and it's this. These things ought not to be. These things ought not to be. Believers are to live in a certain way. And it's not going about as matchsticks, adding to the inferno of evil words being spoken all around us. If we do, we do go about doing that. This is, as James says here in verses 9 through 10, it is another form of double-mindedness. You remember he spoke of double-mindedness back in chapter 1. Well, here is another form of that. The believers going about blessing at one moment then cursing the next. And so here we are this morning, worshiping at Haven Baptist Church, singing praises to God, saying, all glory be to Christ my King. And then we leave here and we look at a waitress or waiter and say, you jerk, why is the food taking so long? Right? Or we go and you say, oh, can you believe those people at church today? I mean, they they were just letting their children run everywhere. Blessing God at one one moment, cursing one another in the next. And so we curse others made in God's image who are precious to him. 
so precious he would send his son to die for them. And you know what that is? It's cursing others like the devil. You know what that is? That's verse 6. That's a tongue set on fire by hell itself. And so here's the reality. Your words are works. Your words are works. So verses 11 and 12. So this begins making sense of why James goes here next in the book of James. So all that talk last week and the week before that about faith and works in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. He's been talking about that, faith and works. Well, could it be that as we come to these verses that fresh and salt water would come from the same spring? Could it be that a fig tree produces olives? You know the answer. Could it be that a grapevine produces figs? James is making the point that your words are fruit. Your words are works. And real faith produces real works. And so your words reflect where your faith is. And that's what you're being called here this morning. He's calling for your whole self to be Christ's. Now, for that to happen this morning, as I'm sure every one of us is feeling mightily convicted over our words, we must do something this morning. And it's this, you must be candid about your failings. You must be candid about your failings. You must be honest with yourself. The kind of genuineness that James is talking about here does not happen if you continue hiding from your sin. If you continue hiding from how you are speaking. Not your spouse, not your coworkers, not your family, you. How you are speaking. You're not to be Cain. You're to be Abel. What did God tell Cain in Genesis 4, 7? He said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Be candid, friends, with yourself. You don't take you take off the gloves for others. Well, why don't you take off the gloves for yourself and deal with yourself this morning before God and admit you absolutely need God's help. I can't do this. You can do this. This isn't just about you know pulling up your bootstraps. You know, and just laboring at this to the point that, like, you see what I did? I I made my words better. You need to go to God and by His grace, through faith in Christ, by the powerful working of His Spirit, be changed. 
Your words matter. And so lay down the matchsticks before Christ this morning. And say as the song goes, take my lips and let them be filled with words from thee. May that be your response this morning. Saying, Lord, woe to me. I'm not going to lie about them. I'm not going to hide them everywhere. I would like to hide them like Adam and Eve did. I'm just going to bring them before you, Lord. Please change me. Make me like Christ. Make me like your son. And in doing that, draw from the everlasting spring. Draw from the everlasting spring. The famous minister and Puritan, Matthew Henry, he said it well. Good words cost nothing but a little self-denial. Yet they purchase great things. Gentleness will do what violence will not do. How hard we labor sometimes. Fighting and devouring and hurting one another. When gentleness would bring you right there. Not only to see something maybe come about, to see God be glorified, see peace, see kindness, see the blessing of blessing others. So perhaps today the Lord is calling you to cease trying to defeat your sin on your own in power this morning and to simply look to him to little self-denial. <laughs> so don't burn others down as Tyler read a moment ago from Ephesians 4, build them up. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. If your words are yielded to do harm, that they will do. If they are yielded to speak life and hope, that they will speak. And so God is calling you to lay down sin and self this morning and go and be and speak and live by faith in Christ. Christ came and died for you so don't leave him to return to dry bones. Only go to Christ and never cease going to Christ who is an everlasting spring. He is your help. He is the one you need. He is your life and salvation and all. And so may it be as we hear these words this morning, may you look to him by faith. Seek him and let your tongue no longer be a fire, but let it be a fountain. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you for James your words that you've given here for us. As we began this series, I warned everybody, James is a bull. And as a bull, he has done exactly that. But how good it is. Thank you, Lord, for your word and 
challenging us, and I pray that you would sanctify my words, that you would sanctify our words, that you would help us to bring these things before you, that we would indeed be candid with you this morning, not so we can be saved if, if we know Christ. It's, it's those who are, as, as those who are saved who know Christ that we would just lay ourselves before you Say, Lord, change me. Take my life and let it be holy unto thee. Or if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ this morning, if they would just cry out and say, woe is me, I am a sinner. Save me, Jesus. I repent in dust and ashes and believe that you died and were buried and rose again on my behalf to save me. And so may we respond to your word this morning. May we indeed, whoever we are, surrender all for your name's sake. That all glory would be to Christ our King. In Jesus' name, amen.